Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Chris Honeywell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and good, good friend, Jeffrey Taylor. How's it going tonight? It's going great, uh, Chris, if that is your real name. <laughs> Alternately, you have, you could have called me the Irredeemable Shag or Thomas yes, that, DJ. Actually, that would have worked, too, wouldn't it? Because at this point, really... Uh, outside of Shag, Thomas DJ has been on views more than anybody else, so he's kind of <laughs> like a... a uh, I, I, we haven't really come up with a term for it yet, but he, he's been on there a lot, so... And I guess we could also call you Michael Bailey. <laughs> which is true. But we've done that bit before. I think we so. have done that bit before. Yes, we have. Um, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm going to pretend we haven't been talking for an hour. I was just um, going to say, as if you don't know, after the hour conversation we just had off the air. Well, we have to have our little warm-up, catch up with each other. Yeah. You know, despite how we act sometimes, we are friends. And uh, I think we get along famously, don't you? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Even though I, I, I posted that Tom Wilson uh, song... About being over forty. That was funny. 
I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I love that. That Back to the Future song was fucking hilarious. That's been stuck in my head all day long today. <laughs> uh, yeah. I like that. I, I need to listen to more of them, but I, I listened to the, the forty over 41 you sent me, and uh, then there was one... If you watch the Back to the Future one all the way through, when that one's over, it recommends another one called The Daughter Song. Oh, yeah, that one's that great. That was hysterical. Yeah. That was very funny. <laughs> That's going to be me if I ever have a daughter. <laughs> that would definitely be me. Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, I, I, I thank God every single day that I did not have daughters because I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I'm too much of a sexist pig to, to <laughs> rip her heads, you know? I have no problem admitting, and she'd and she'd have you wrapped around her finger too. That's yes. the other thing to consider. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, my 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 animals are female, and uh, yeah, I can just imagine what a what a human daughter would <laughs> it would be that much worse. So, yeah, not a not a good idea, not a good idea whatsoever. Well, in the middle of last week's episode, uh, we had late breaking news. Uh, about Amazon posting the solicitation for the Showcase Presents All-Star Squadron. And we talked about it, we posted mm-hmm. about it. Hopefully it will pan out, because right. Amazon does have a habit sometimes. Apparently they did a solicitation at one point for a second Jonah Hex Showcase Presents that never came to fruition. So, But that could have been just DC canceling it for one reason or could another. Be, yeah. But uh, Fan Expo 11 was this weekend uh, as of our recording. I wish I could tell you where Fan Expo was held, uh, but, you know... Somewhere crack- in Canada, wasn't it? I, oh, Toronto, Canada, yeah. And uh, a big announcement came out. One of the, the things about the relaunch, and we're not getting into the relaunch, so calm down. Because I could just hear people waiting for you to wind up, Scott. Oh, God, here we go again. But, um... But one of the things that's been missing from the relaunch is that there was nothing about the Justice Society. And Scott and I, I think even in one of the last episodes we did, it was either the last week's or the week before, we mentioned that once again it seems like the Justice Society is being kind of pushed to the side, like it was during Crisis on Infinite Earths and Zero Hour. Well, it turns out not to be the case, because at Fan Expo they announced that James Robinson, who was one of the co-writers of JSA back in 1999, and a fantastic artist named Nicholas Scott who has worked with Gail Simone on Birds of Prey. She's a wonderful, wonderful artist. She's got a nice, slick, clean style. Uh, Are going to be doing not only a Justice Society of America title, but it's going to be set on a new Earth 2. And what Robinson apparently said was that by having the Justice Society on Earth 2... It gives him as a writer the opportunity to use some great characters that were either previously dead or unavailable. And that's got me thinking, are they going to do like straight up Earth 2 where there's another Superman, another Batman? You know, will we get a Huntress who is the daughter of Batman again? Or how is it going to work? You know, there's no details right now, but I got to tell you, I'm really intrigued. It's funny you use that word because that's the exact word um, I used earlier. I, I, you would not believe, and I'm sure you had the same thing happen to you, Mike. You would not yeah. believe the IMs that I got yeah. over this in the past <laughs> two days. I mean, everybody and their brother wanted my opinion of this, 
and you know, to the point where I actually posted on our forum, you know, somebody there had asked me about it. I actually posted something to the effect of, you know, I don't want to sound like a dick, but you know, I think we'll just, I, I think I just want to wait and talk to Mike about this in an episode. So, you know, here we are. Yeah. But that was the word that I used, you know, was I'm intrigued, which whenever I say I'm intrigued, nine times out of ten, that's my way of going, nah, I don't know about that. Because, you know, <laughs> on the on the one hand, you know, it's really funny. I was just listening, you know, as you know, Mike, I, I'm getting caught up on uh, on my back episodes of, of From Crisis to Crisis. And uh, I just listened to recently... I'm trying to remember exactly which episode it was and exactly what you guys... Oh, I know what it was. It was uh, it was during one of your listener email segments. It may have been the listener email episode. I'm not sure, but it was definitely a listener email where somebody had written in and, and asked you, you know, the, the, one of those type of questions you get from time to time about, you know, you know, if you could bring back your Superman and, and you know, have, you know, your choice of creators work on him, you know, who would it be and, and that sort of thing. And you guys went into this thing about, you know, well, you know, you can't really go home again and all that. And my natural inclination right off the bat was to be like, are you nuts? You know, yeah, you bring him back, you know. But I listened to the case that you made, and ultimately, as much as it pained me, I came to the realization that I, I agree with you. I think you're right. You know, that to a large degree, you can't go home again. You know, that, that these things are never as good the second time around. Yeah. We, we've seen that happen a lot in comic books, and that kills me. And I think the, the best argument I can make for my own case was was my my own example what happened to me is i mean as everybody who's ever listened to me for five minutes knows i love john byrne and i love john byrne on superman and i realized that as much as i mostly loved everything that happened in the from crisis to crisis era of superman I will, I will acknowledge now, years away from that, that the main reason I think, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously, that I continue to read Superman for 20 years past Byrne, you know, when he left the, you know, when he just up and quit the series with Superman number 22, was that I was, I was secretly waiting for Byrne to come back, you know? He eventually did. Right before Infinite Crisis, Byrne yeah. came back. And it wasn't the same. It was no. bittersweet. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. But not only had he moved on, and the character had most definitely moved on to a point where I would argue it wasn't even the same Superman anymore in a lot of ways. But, you know, we as, as fans and as a world, you know, had moved on. Yeah. And so... You know, you magnify that by adding another 20 years onto that. You know, if we suddenly go back to Earth 2, whether it's the same exact one like Mike and I are talking about here with All-Star Squadron or whether it's some new, um, you know, Morrison-y thing that spins out of, you know, 52 and all that. I just, I don't know. I worry that they wouldn't be able to, to recapture the same feel and the same flavor. And uh, I remember that JSA annual that came out a while back. Yeah. You know, it was drawn by Ordway. One. Yeah. It was drawn by Ordway. It had all my favorite characters in it and everything. And at the end of the day, I walked away from that with just a really 
I don't know, an odd feeling like, wow, that just didn't do it for me somehow. It just, I, I almost wish that they hadn't published that book. Yeah. Because it just didn't, it just didn't work. So I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a pisser, you know, I don't want to be a downer and, and a naysayer. I mean, this may come out and it may be the best thing that's ever been written, but I think it's got a lot of things working against it. I think that it, you know, it may be trying, depending on the the angle that they take, it may be trying to do something that just can't or maybe even shouldn't be done anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people getting really, really worked up about James Robinson, and I love James Robinson. You know, he wrote what I still consider probably the finest comic book series that ever was, which was Starman. I thought Starman was a hell of a read. Yeah, definitely the best book of the 90s. What's he done Uh, since? Anything um, I've read that he's done since, frankly, I thought it kind of sucked. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. He kind of he kind of mucked through the Superman titles there and yeah. wrote a bunch and wrote about the wrote the most, wrote the most boring Mon L on the face of the planet. Yeah, and uh, you know, Cry for Justice was it was just a bad book. It, it really didn't go anywhere, and it was violent for the sake of violence. I don't mind violence in my comics. I love fight scenes, right? And I love it when you know the bad guy gets the ass kicking they so richly deserve. And I like the bad guy doing things to citizens to make the point that hey, I'm a bad guy. But when you're when you're gratuitous about it, when you're injuring characters for the sake of injuring them, or or having a character kill just so you can take this on take them on this boring soul wrenching storyline you know then i'm not down with that right and my you know for for my money i i it's like everything else with the relaunch i'm gonna wait and see you know yeah i'm not gonna make any decision on the superman titles on the batman titles uh hell even on all-star western which i'll be picking up mm-hmm. uh just because it's got jonah hex going to gotham city in, in that time period that sounds kind of interesting actually but, um, you know, I really don't like the fact that I'm of the opinion that you can't go home again. I would love to be of the opinion that, yeah, let's get him back and it'd be so great. But, you know, it's like I said in that episode of From Crisis to Crisis, y- you can't. It's once something is captured and you go through it, you can't. Not that I've ever had any experience like this, but I would have to assume it's kind of like hooking up with an old girlfriend, like, ten years later. You know, it seems like you're going to try to recapture something that happened ten years ago, but you're completely different people at that point. Right. And I just don't think it would work. You know, Peter David's Hulk is a great example of that. It was completely different. It was good. It was well-written. But it wasn't the elements of, of his initial run on the Hulk that I liked so much. It was a completely different take on right. it because he's a different writer. I, I think comics history, if you examine it, I think is rife with those examples of somebody who, you know, put their stamp on a character or on a run or on a series and then, you know, lived in that shadow for 10, 20 years or, or longer and then suddenly had a second chance to come back and touch that character again and name me an instance where it was as good. It never is. 
Well, I won't say never because there are examples of people that came back and you're like, damn, you know, they plus their original work. You know, uh, Perez on Avengers, I think, is is a is a rare exception to that rule. I think his his second time around is as good, maybe even better than his first. But that's that. Like I say, that's a rare instance. Nine times out of ten, it's something more like, uh, you know, when Englehart and Rogers came back and tried to do Batman again 20 years. So, you know, years later. And it just was like. Wow, these are the same guys that did that because this. I'm going to have to reread it because I remember liking that series when it came out, but I'll 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 agree with you in, in spirit on that, right? Because I remember liking Dark Detective, but uh, you know, I don't know what it is about the, and it's not just with comic fans. I'm I'm sure it's the same with Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans that, you know, believe that if you get these people back... I mean, Star Trek The Motion Picture, even though it shares plot elements from, like, past episodes of the original series, it still felt very kind of different from that series. You know, just not only in look, but in the fact that these characters had gone on. They didn't get everybody together and just do the next adventure of the Starship Enterprise. Right. You know, it was it was carefully calculated, and then the film series kind of took on its own life. But it, it is it just as good as the original? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Is it the same? Absolutely not. No. So, and and I think that's one of the things about <laughs> to, to take it to your other the other two true freaks. Uh, monthly thing, Star Wars. I think a lot of people, and I'll put myself in this camp, uh, didn't like the prequels because it wasn't like the originals of Star Wars. Right. Even though it was a completely different animal. You know, it can't, it, you know, uh, there were, as long as it feels like Star Wars, which in all three of those movies, there were moments that felt absolutely like Star Wars. Uh, the fact that you had John Williams' music held. Right. Uh, yeah. But, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the, there are flourishes and things here and there. But they're too, they're they're made from the creative mindset of of, of like almost three decades apart. So right. I mean, as long as this Green Lantern concept that's in this Darwin Cook cover that they used for artwork for the story doesn't happen, I'll be happy. Because if that's the Alan Scott Green Lantern costume, that sucks ass for the story. Green Lantern looks like he's wearing a Green Lantern. That just looks stupid. See, I know I'm going to get beat up for this, but I don't like Darwin Cook all that much anyway. Yeah, it's best we don't talk about that. See, I think Darwin Cook would be a, would be a fine artist for something like... Uh, you know, when they were doing the, the books that spun out of the, the Timverse animated stuff, you know, like if you were going to well, do you, like... You, you know why, right? He was a storyboard artist on oh, the animated series. Yeah, so there you go. He, so he, he would, boarded the uh, the intro to um, Batman Beyond. Hmm. Well, there you go. I mean, his art style perfectly fits something like that. Like if... Justice League Adventures was still running or something. I could see him working on something like that. Although, you know, I see that and then the issue of, uh, of Jonah Hex that he did was phenomenal. And I really, when I heard he was coming to do an issue of Jonah Hex, I, w- I was just like, 
please, dear God, no. He is so ill-suited, you know, for that character. And then I read it, and I was like, damn, that was really good. So, you know, you never know. You never know. I mean, I'm not a hater. I'm not saying I don't, you know, that I can't stand it. So I'm just saying, I, I see it a lot of times, and I'm like, nah, I'm not all that crazy about that. But. I can't find any Nicola Scott. Oh, that's wait, all right. Here's some. Nah, I'll, uh... In the end, it comes down to, though, is that, you know, I am intrigued. I am interested. I, I'll, I'll wait to hear what people are saying and, and everything. But, you know, bottom line for me is I wasn't really planning on, on going along with this new DC reboot stuff anyway. You know, it, it, part of it is disinterest, but a lot of it, too, is that, you know, my, my comic book spending money as far as buying new issues... I'm pretty much tapped out. I'm pretty much getting what I can afford to get right now, and I'm enjoying that stuff so much that I'm not willing to pull dollars away from that to invest. You know, you know. it's funny that now I'm getting independent books and consider the big two the risk. When the hell did that happen? <laughs> you know, it always used to be that, you know, the, the solid, dependable reads every every week or every month were my DCs and Marvels, and I didn't ever buy independent books because every time I get into them, they were canceled within a year. Suddenly, I'm in, I'm in a complete flip-flop. I'm loving the few indie books that I'm getting and consider them the, the solid stuff that I'm not willing to, to you know, pull my money out of. And I'm looking at this DC stuff that's about to happen going, wow, that's a big risk because, you know, you never know. Six months down the road, they might flip-flop again. So, yeah. Well, know. also, the books you're pulling are, are subject matter. I mean, one of your favorite books right now is the Planet of the Apes comic. That's awesome. That, uh, who's doing IDW? Uh, that is... Um, or is that Boom? Boom, yes, Boom. Boom Studios. Yeah. So, there you go. I mean, yep. <laughs> I haven't read it because, as you and I have discussed and you have chided me for... Um, I have not. Uh, I have not seen any of the Planet of the Apes movies, so... So sad. And, and you can have my geek card. I mean, I know Nova. <laughs> Nova. Do you love? Can you love? <laughs> I mean, I know that shit, but, you know. And, and and who doesn't know? Get your paws off me, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. You need to see that one, and you need to see the third one. And that's the, it. The third one. The third one has a scene much like the Nova scene, where uh, where this time it's Zira saying her name. She goes, "Zira." <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> well, we have got another awesome issue of the All Star Squadron to talk. Oh yeah, about. that's right. We were supposed to be. I was supposed to introduce a segment or something, right? I see. I suck <laughs> at this. Well, actually, before we get into this, I, I wanted to point out something that. Uh, I just thought it was of interest that we are um, actually over now, just slightly over a third of the way through this series already. Can you believe that? Yeah, you know, it. it, it I don't know if we were talking about this on the air for it was just, you know, when we were just shooting the shit, you know, before or after the episode. But it seemed like it took a really long time to get through those first, like, 13 issues. Mm -hmm. And now they're just flying. Yep. Uh, it's really weird, and it just makes me think that, you know, by the end of next year... We're going to be hitting young all-stars. Well, you know, it helps, too, when you don't take a year hiatus between each issue. <laughs> <laughs> it was unavoidable. It was nobody's oh, fault. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. <laughs> I know, but I'm, just, but I'm just making the point that it's, it's, it's not my fault. It's not That's not what I said before, is it? 
No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Because if I did, I didn't mean it. No. <laughs> Much. <laughs> we um yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm walking all over you. Yeah, we're gonna look at the next issue of All Star Squadron, and Mike has the synopsis for this one. Yeah, it's the number issue number twenty four. It has a cover date of August, but we know it's August nineteen eighty three. Though by December, in a, five more episodes. Uh, we're actually going to see the year on the cover as well as the month because December 1983 is when DC started putting that on there. Uh, whopping 60 cents would have bought you this book back in 1983. This is The Man Who Knew Too Much. Who, uh, excuse me. I screwed up. The Man Who'll Know Too Much. The quote at the bottom of the um, book is there have been quotes in all of these books. This was the worst week of the war, the worst week of the century. Now, as in 1864, the nation was in the, was in the balance. Time Magazine for February 23rd, 1942. This issue was written by, and edited by Roy Thomas, penciled by Jerry Ordway. Mike Macklin was the inker. Cody was the letterer. Thank God they shrunk that name down. And Gene D'Angelo was the colorist. We open on the mysterious and totally awesome Batman, who is not in his hometown of Gotham City, but is actually in New York City. He heads to the laboratory of Robert Crane, Crane, who we know as Robot Man, and after using his infrared binoculars, he spots his sidekick Robin unconscious on the floor. Batman busts into the place, and just when he is about to get the lowdown on what happened from a now-conscious boy wonder, a couple of those green meanies that work for the ultra-humanite attack. Batman takes them out, and in short order, the dynamic duo is heading towards the perisphere as Robin relates what happened. It seems that Chuck Grayson, Robert Crane's lab assistant, and Dick Grayson are related. So Dick popped by for a visit and revealed his secret identity, which means that Chuck knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and we have proof that Robin sucks at the whole secret identity thing. <laughs> Ultra's green meanies attack, and Robin drops the ball by throwing one of them into some equipment, which causes a small explosion. Robin gets knocked out, and we are caught up to speed, complete with Robin mentioning that the green guys took Chuck. As the dynamic duo raced to the New York World's Fairgrounds, thanks to an earlier tip Batman received from the NYPD, the ultra-humanite is busy gloating over the forms of Superman, Robot Man, and Firebrand. The Green Meanies show up with Chuck, and soon we learn that Ultra wants Grayson to put his brain inside Robot Man's body. Chuck is all like, it was a fluke, and that would kill my friend, but Ultra is having none of that. It was an accident that his brain is in the hot body of Dolores Winters, and he wants out. Cyclotron tries to convince Ultra to stop this madness, but he, she, is having none of it, and shows them her his next target, the French ocean liner, the Normandy which is being refitted into an aircraft character. Meanwhile, Johnny Chambers... An aircraft uh, what? Carrier. Oh, okay, I thought you said character. <laughs> an aircraft character. I would swear that's what it sounded like you said. I'm sorry. It's being turned into the aerial bots from the Transformers. <laughs> that would rule. They're going to form Superion. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> form of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> Shape of a bucket of water. <laughs> he sucked. Yes, he did. 
Meanwhile, Johnny Chambers, Johnny Quick to Us, is covering the Carol Lombard Memorial Bond Drive when an explosion rocks the Normandy. Johnny changes into his superhero duds and saves a bunch of sailors before being caught in an explosion and knocked out. Green Lantern and Liberty Bell, fresh from a stop off at the army base so GL could recharge his ring, spot the chaos, and soon Bell is cradling Johnny and GL raises the Normandy. After hearing a radio threat from the ultra-humanite demanding $100 million, or he'll strike at three more locations, GL and Bell take Johnny to the hospital on their way back to the Perisphere. Meanwhile, at the Perisphere, Commander Steel reflects on how much it sucks to be him right now, when a weirdly garbed man appears out of the shadows. Commander Steel figures out that it is the Tarantula in a new zoot suit. He catches the neophyte hero up to speed on what's going on, and then Tarantula tells Steel how he got his new costume. This leads us into part two, Tarantula in Mind Over Mystery Man. After his spat with Johnny Quick, the Tarantula returned home, only to find a guy named Brainwave hassling his housekeeper, Olga. Brainwave demands to see Jonathan Law, author of Altered Ego, the Star-Spangled Heroes of World War II, but John Law hasn't written that book yet. The Tarantula crashes in, and soon the two are a-fighting, with Brainwave saying that Law doesn't stand a chance against a modern hero like him. Finally, the two calm down, and Brainwave reveals that he isn't the Brainwave the All-Stars just fought, but his son. Not only that, Brainwave uh, Jr. is from... The Future. Just as explanations start to get good, Olga hits Brainwave with a fireplace shovel. Smacks the shit out of him. <laughs> Womp. Tough old lady, though. I'll give her that. Johnny retrieves his new web gum com- gun complete with stun emitter, and Olga shows off the snazzy costume she's made for him. Soon, Tarantula hails a taxi, sort of, and we are back to the present. Commander Steel and Tarantula talk about Brainwave's claims of being from the future when the Atom shows up. Everyone runs outside just in time to see Dr. Fate flying off to look for the Spectre. Soon Batman and Robin arrive, as do Green Lantern and Liberty Bell. Amazing Man, who Adam had brought to the Perisphere, gets free, and the All-Stars square off against him as Ultra feels that the, that the All-Stars will soon be after her. She reveals that she has new minions to throw at the heroes. Superman gives his you'll-never-get-away-with-this type speech, adding that the JSA is back, to which Ultra responds that in the unlikely event that the JSA wins, it will be the unhappiest day in their careers. And that was the issue. Boy, was it a good one. Excellent synopsis, sir. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Much better than the last synopsis. (laughs) That wasn't mine. Um, Historical notes. The title, The Man Who Will Know Too Much, was adapted, of course, from the two Alfred Hitchcock films called The Man Who Knew Too Much and, of course, the JSA story in All-Star Comics number 29, The Man Who Knows Too Much. Dick Grayson, Robin, and Chuck Grayson, lab assistant to Bob Crane, Paul Dennis, Robot Man, are revealed to be cousins. And is that the last... Well, we've got some other notes, but that's the last of the official notes. Uh, Hollywood at War. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello were the most popular comedy team during World War II and sold millions of dollars worth of war bonds. But alas, were plagued by tax problems a few years later. 
<laughs> in issue number 24, Johnny, Quick Chambers, and Tubby Watts filmed them for movie newsreels at a war bond drive in honor of the late Carol Lombard. The talented film comedian, the wife of superstar Clark Gable, had been killed in an airplane crash on January 16, 1942, less than a month before this story takes place, while on a Bond tour. Gable, too, did a cameo in number 24. Ye editor aired in writing in volume one of this series, which featured a photo of Lombard and Gable, that she died in February of 1942. Me, Tarzan, you, Batman. When Jerry Ordway drew this beautiful homage to a classic early Bob Kane Batman pose as the splash page of number 24, and I'll be getting into that in my notes, he probably had no idea he was actually chanting Master Illustrator Harold R. Foster. Jack Bender, the current artist of the long-running Alley Oop comic strip, sent the grouping of three panels above. A 1939 Batman panels from Detective Comics number 31 and 33, where Batman's kind of crouching on a uh, on a ledge of a building, flanking a panel from episode number 34 of the Foster drawn comic serialization of Edgar Rice Burroughs' novel Tarzan of the Apes. And folks, the Foster pose is exactly like the two Batman poses. Yep. Um, I'm not saying this to start anything, but Bob Kane was kind of known to swipe poses in his early Batman stories. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. So, but there is another thing in this book that shows uh, one of the other ideas for the tarantula costume, and he actually looks like a Marvel villain. Yeah. In that, so... Uh, in issue 24, Green Lantern saves the French liner Normandy from sinking in New York Harbor while it's being refitted to be an aircraft carrier after an explosion that on Earth 2 was caused by the ultra-humanite. On our Earth, the Normandy, which had been rechristened the USS Lafayette, burned all afternoon on the, uh, burned all the afternoon of February 10th, 1942, having been turned on her side. The mysterious blast was believed by many at the time to be an act of Nazi sabotage, but in retrospect, it appears to have been a tragic accident caused by a workman dropping an acetylene torch. The ship was never salvaged into war, uh, war service. And that's pretty much it, unless you've got anything in there that you want to mention. Uh, no, not really. I have a ton, a metric ton of notes on this particular issue. Very good. Um, first off, right off the bat, awesome cover on this one. I mm-hmm. really, really like this cover. And uh, what I really like most about it, I think, is that you know there is no denying it here. This is Spider-Man's web that yes. the heroes are caught up in. It's drawn exactly like you would see Spider-Man's web you know, drawn in Marvel comics. Um, I also, I really like the, uh, the tarantula's new outfit, but I'll be getting into that a little bit later. And, uh, it's just cool to see Batman on the cover with the all-stars, you know, Mm -hmm. because anytime, you know, we mentioned that with Superman, but I think the same goes for Batman. You know, anytime Batman shows up in this title, I get almost excited about that as I do when Superman shows up because that's just cool. You know, he's He's one of the classics. Yeah, he is. And he's, he's not, used a whole lot and he's not overused so when he pops up it's a big deal and i like that um speaking of batman love this opening splash 
of uh, you know a very classic Bob Kane style Batman you know on the cover. Now I've never been a huge fan of the of the short eared you know Batman. I mean, think of the you know the opening to the Batman TV show, folks. You know the Adam West TV show, and that's the Batman that you're basically looking at here. Never been a big fan of that cowl or whatever, but I tell you what, Ordway. He does this good. I mean, he really yes, he has a has a knack for drawing, you know, the the Batman of this era. Now, he you know, he would do Batman and other things. Like I remember him doing the uh, the Tim Burton movie adaptation. Oh, yes. And while it was a fine job, I never really liked his Batman in that very much. But this style of Batman, I, I think he's well suited for. I like that a whole lot. Uh, page two. You know, it's really weird reading through this entire issue with uh, Batman and Robin. I hear, and I'm not sure how you pronounce the guy's name. Is it Olan Sol, the the guy who did yeah. the voice of Batman on on Super Friends? I hear mm-hmm. that voice for Batman. Really? But strangely, I don't hear Casey Kasem as Robin when I read this. Robin has like a little little kid's voice, like a little boy's voice, but it's definitely like the voice of like Batman I, from the Super Friends. I kind of hear the Robin from the Superman radio show in that, my head yeah, when, I, when I hear. When I when I read these this dialogue, oddly enough, I hear Kevin Conroy. Really, for Batman? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I'm familiar enough with the with the radio stuff to to remember what the Robin of the radio show sounded like. He sounded like a little kid, um, but it was a but it had a really it had a really good edge to it. Uh, I like Batman and Robin on the radio show. They're a lot of fun. Now, the last time we saw Batman and Robin, which was what a couple of issues ago. I didn't mention it then because I thought maybe it was just an aberration, but I'm seeing the same thing again, so I kind of have to mention it here. Robin looks vaguely Asian to me throughout this entire issue, and I thought the same thing the last time I saw Robin in this title, too, and I thought, well, maybe it's just the way he looks in this particular one. Plus, he, he did look a, a, a little yellow-skinned. In this one, he's he's not you know drawn uh, or colored you know particularly differently or anything but there's just something about I, and I can't put my my finger on it but there's just something away about the way Ordway draws him in a lot of panels where he does he looks like um know, like Filipino or something it's just kind of <laughs> odd uh let's see page three panel three I love that the Batmobile almost mows down Dr. Occult I thought that was pretty cool <laughs> he had it coming <laughs> uh yeah I had the same note about uh this thing with Robin, you know, I just, as my note was, uh, did Robin reveal his secret ID to Grayson without Batman's prior approval? And was this the first meeting between these cousins? Because it seems, it, it almost seems like it is, and it seems like he just shows up at the door going, you know, you know, it, it, the way I'm reading this scene is that great, you know, the older Grayson, um, uh, what is his name? Chuck. Chuck, that's it. Chuck Grayson, he answers the door and he's like, Hey, Robin! And Robin's like, hi, I'm your cousin. It's like, really? I mean, you're just going to you know, let it out of the bag that quick? Now, I mean, he does give a good bit of reasoning. He says, I figured if I couldn't tell Robot Man's closest friend, who could I trust? I, I guess, you know, but still, it, it does definitely give me the impression that he did not clear it with Batman first before he did that. Did you have the same impression? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have my own feelings <laughs> oh, okay. on this scene right. that, uh, I will reveal later. Okay. Um, page four, panel three, Robin picks up one of the green nasties and throws him into the machine, making the machine explode. He learned this move from Chewbacca. 
<laughs> That's a Star Wars monthly Monday joke. Number 52. Yeah. <laughs> when he picked up that stormtrooper <laughs> and threw him into the... <laughs> gronk. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. You know what's really cool is I like the old-timey Batmobile in this issue, and I didn't mm-hmm. ever used to like it when I was a kid. I always thought the one that had the actual Batman head on the front of it was the stupidest-looking thing ever. But I see it in this issue, and I kind of dig it. So I have a just... model of this one that I haven't put together yet. I'm oh, really? To that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Page five. Awesome splash page. But, you know, I'm really about ready to see Superman get up and hurt somebody. <laughs> it, you know, it's painful to watch Superman just lay around for several issues. He should be up and smashing some robots or something. I love the confrontation between the ultra humanite and death bolt on page six, where she essentially says, dude, I'm a dude. I love that. It's great. It's not going to happen. You're never going to fuck me. You can have the body when my brain is taken out of it. If that makes you feel better. And he's probably skeevy enough to do that. (laughs) Page eight. Sorry. It's gotta be said. I hate Abbott and Costello. Always have probably always will. Sorry. Um, is that Cary Grant in the fourth panel between uh, looks like it uh, Johnny Chambers and uh, Foggy Nelson there? It looks like Cary Grant. I'll uh, I'll, I'll tentatively agree with that. I, I like calling him Foggy Nelson. I know that's not right, but I just get a kick out of it. <laughs> some sort of per, 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 it's better than Tubby Watts. Yes, what this a, is true. What an insulting! It's like uh, um, what's his name. The Americommandos sidekick was a fat guy, too, named Bob Daly, I believe. And it's just like, God. Well, this guy's made worse by the fact that he looks like like Jimmy Olsen. You know, <laughs> who's like, just been hitting the Krispy Kreme a Right, well, like hard. he got exposed to red kryptonite or something, and now he's like <laughs> in one of those issues where he gets fat, you know, for like the whole issue. That's what he looks like. Um, I had a, no, a, a further follow-up here about the Normandy. Um it's interesting that, that uh, Roy Thomas said that the ship wasn't salvaged. Well, he said it wasn't salvaged into war. It was salvaged. It just wasn't salvaged and, and used in, you know, in the capacity that it was being refitted at the time. But it was eventually salvaged, and it was just scrapped. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the further note I had on it was uh, enemy sabotage was widely suspected, but a federal investigation in the wake of the sinking con- concluded that the fire was completely accidental. But this is what I found was interesting. It says it has later been alleged that it was indeed sabotage organized by mobster Anthony and Anastasio Anastasio, who was a power in the local longshoremen's union. The alleged purpose was to provide a pretext for the release from prison of mob boss Charles Lucky Luciano. Luciano's end of the bargain would be that he would ensure that there would be no further quote-unquote enemy sabotage in the ports where the mob had strong influence with the unions. I could, I can kind of see that. And I thought that that was very interesting. Yeah, but if the Rocketeer taught me anything is that <laughs> mobsters may be criminals, but they're Americans first. So that's a that's a good point. That's a very good point. I mean, I know that that's a Disney film essentially, but still, I mean, no, that's a good point though. That's that's actually one of my favorite moments of that. Oh entire, yeah, when um, Paul Servino. Yeah, I'm trying to. What the hell is it, Eddie? When Eddie yeah. Valentine basically tells them that you know. 
I'm, I'm not siding with any damn Nazis. I love that. That is a great mm-hmm. moment in that movie. Made even better by that moment when the the G Man and Eddie are like side by side, <laughs> yeah. people down with machine guns. It's like <laughs> that is great. Nothing there are wrong so with many scene. character actors that in that movie that I love. They're all in the same movie because that guy that plays the the G Man that that the Rocketeer keeps punching mm-hmm. out. I love that guy. He's Do been you know, in so many good movies. Do you know who played Howard Hughes? Yeah, it was um, the uh, dude from, uh, from Lost. Lost. Yeah, uh, Terry O'Quinn. And dude, he was in every movie from that era. He was in like in Tombstone. He was in Young Guns. He was in like a thousand things. Well, that movie's also got a lot of uh, got a lot of Star Trek ties because Terry O'Quinn mm-hmm. was in that as Howard Hughes, but he was also on Next Gen as the Admiral. I think it was in the Pegasus episode, if I'm not mistaken. I'm gonna have to rewatch that because I really and like that actor. The the Rocketeer, mm-hmm. um, Billy Campbell, was the outrageous O'Connor. And then that guy that I was just talking about, I wish I could remember his name. I feel so bad I can't remember his name. But he's the guy that plays the kind of kind of a jerk FBI guy, the one that the Rocketeer punches out like two or three times. He was yeah. next gen too because he played Who did he play? I know who you're I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I just started to doubt Shit. myself. I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, that he played the father of the boy that gets accused of causing the accident in that one episode where Wesley Crusher gets court-martialed or whatever. And when he's in Star Academy, remember they were trying to pull off like some precision flying thing? Yes. And somebody got killed. And the surviving kids were trying to blame it on the boy that died. And I'm pretty sure that that actor played that guy's, the, the, the dead kid's father in that episode. And I think he might have been in other episodes of other Star Trek things as well. But that's what I always remember him from. Well, it also has Alan Arkin, who's great in his role. He's um, the guy that plays the clown that ends up making the Rocketeer make his first public appearance. Right. Was Jonathan Kent on Lois and Clark. That's right. That's right. Oh hell! I just remembered. Uh, Paul Servino was Worf's brother. Yes. So yeah. also one of the guys that like hung out with all the Flyboys at that diner. He was the creator of the Replicants. Yeah, and in Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. That's and right. Voiced the character that create created Hardak in that Batman awesome two part. Yeah. So yeah. The, the yeah that movie's got geek cred like all Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Just. Timothy Dalton. I mean, Flash Gordon, James Bond. Um, I was thinking about this the other day after we had, we had done an episode. Um, Betty Banner. About Betty uh, uh, what was it? Oh, it was our on Two True Freaks. We did an episode. It was uh, a review of both the uh, the unreleased Wonder Woman pilot and the new Captain America movie. And at the end of it, we were ranking the Marvel films, and I ranked the Iron Man one last, which was not a popular opinion. I'm sure. I was thinking about it later on. What is my real beef with, with the first Iron Man and why I, I, I didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought. And I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that as much as I did enjoy the movie or whatever, my interpretation of the, of the Tony Stark character would have been much different because I always wanted to see Timothy Dalton as Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And his, his Tony Stark, I think would have been very different from Robert Downey Jr.'s. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But of course, he's, you know, now way too old to play that part, but still. 
Anyway. So you like the second one because it has Walt Disney in it. I mean, they call him Howard Stark. Right. But... Well, I mean, that wasn't the sole reason, but that had a lot to do with it. I liked the fact that the that the 64, 65 World's Fair, or of course, it's called something different in the movie. It was the Stark Expo of, the, you know, what is it, the 50s or something. Mm-hmm. It's essentially, it was the Epcot film was used in a superhero element that tied those two movies all together. I thought that mm-hmm. was brilliant. I, I love when people can take something like that, you know, another fascination another interest that i have and tie it into some other fascination and interest that i have so in this case you had you know my fascination with with you know epcot the city era walt disney tying into superhero stuff and i was just like you know i'm all over that kind of thing you know same thing as you know uh, quite a ways down the road in our future on this show you know we're going to see the titanic Tied in for the Titanic disaster, tied into the origin of one of the characters in the series. I love that shit. You know, I love it when things that I am really fascinated by all tie together. So I don't know. Even though you think it's teetotal ridiculous, oh, it's completely stupid. But it's 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 stupid in an awesome way. You know, yeah. um, at least they tried. Exactly. I'm sorry, I just got us off on a huge tangent there. Bring yeah, don't ever get Scott and I talking about the Rocketeer folks. <laughs> really seriously, Dude, that just that needs to happen. We need, we yeah. just need to. We need. Just, I gotta get a copy uh, of the DVD. Yeah, we just need to have a, a. I think what we need to do. I think we need to do at least two episodes devoted to the Rocketeer. We need to do a straight up just talking about it, and then we need to do like an actual DVD commentary that people can mm-hmm. along with. So I love that movie. Anyway, getting back to this page ten, you know, with all the heroes having things blow up in their faces in this issue, in this particular issue, it's a, it's lucky that no one wound up with like singed lungs or anything. Yeah, no that happened like at least twice in this issue. Now, I was mightily impressed by page twelve here. Um, I think in your synopsis you had said that GL raises the Normandy, but in this in the course of the story, he actually does more than that. He actually, you know, the the ship is tipped over on its side and it's and it's smoldering, it's burning, it's on fire. He actually uses his power ring and douses the ship in the water, you know, like submerges it and then mm-hmm. lifts it bodily out of the water. Now you go online and look at pictures of the size of this thing. It's yeah. like, damn, you know. I know I knew that GL was powerful, but if he can do that, this guy is, you know, he's of uh, of a mega power that we seldom see him really use. And I mean, you know, Ordway did a fine job of depicting this whole scene, but it's almost one of those scenes I wish was slowed down that much more to really let the magnitude of this moment sink in, that this guy just sank and raised an ocean liner with willpower. That's an incredible feat on the scale of something that would be a huge moment were it a movie. You know what I mean? Um. Pages 14 through 16, the the confrontation with uh, Commander Steele and the new tarantula. Man, this awkward. there's some awkward dialogue here. So just yeah. be, you know, this. You What's know, with your zoot suit? Yeah. It's just straight. It's, it's, it's really strained dialogue of them. You know, it's almost like they're they're picking a fight with each other, but at the same time, trying to be it's just the whole way it's written was i thought was kind of strange and then on page 16 that first panel 
those are some weird faces. Yeah. Because Tarantula is like leering at that Commander Steel, and then Commander Steel's doing like, duh. <laughs> it's just I like pie. <laughs> and then I love the shot right underneath them oh, yeah. of the flashback of Tarantula like swinging over top of the city. It's a great dynamic shot. But looking at those boots got me thinking about something is how does this dude walk around anywhere? <laughs> everywhere he would be walking, you'd be hearing. Because he's got suction cups on the bottom of his shoes. It's kind of silly. It's like that scene in Roxanne where Steve Martin is telling the old women about the aliens that came down that wanted and they had suction cups. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen Roxanne. No, no, I have not. Good movie. Good movie. No, it has Daryl Hannah in it. Yeah, I hate her. Uh, really? Yeah, Oops. I I think she's one of the most visually unappealing women that have ever has ever watched. Wow! <laughs> did you not see her bare ass in Splash, dude? Yes, I did. Gates wow. McFadden, you owe me. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. We're gonna have to <laughs> agree to disagree because uh, she helped get me through uh, through a pubescent phase, is all I'm going to say. <laughs> Moving right along, speaking of people we hate, I hate Brainwave Jr. Can I just get that out of the way right now? I just do not okay. like Brainwave Jr. Um, Olga is cool as hell, man. Yes. I, she deserves her own title. I love this woman. She's just cool. She, she talks in that really thick German accent. And she clubs the shit out of people with brooms and and fireplace shots. I've got the Mr. Law. That will teach him them by God. <laughs> Scaring a poor old woman. <laughs> She's great, man. You know who should voice her? Terry Gar from her Young Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Not- Terry, ha- Terry Gar was hot. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. yes. That we'll agree on. Yes, we will agree on that. Um, I like the new tarantulas costume a whole lot. I really, really do. But is it true to this time period? Cause it, it feels very, I was going to say it feels very nineties. Hell the nineties hadn't even happened by this point. Maybe it's all the pockets. I'm looking at all the pockets. And the first thing I think is Rob Liefeld, you know, which is um, really fair. But again, the original question remains, does this feel like something that somebody would be wearing in the 1940s? I would have to look at more pulp covers and stuff to really because because when I look at this costume, that's the sense I get. Right, that he's supposed to be like kind of a a down and dirty pulp character. Right, uh, which is why I like him because I like because with superheroes you can get the differences like that. You have Superman, who's kind of like you know your shining beacon of hope and and all that is good and mom's apple pie and stuff like that. Uh, which I realize is kind of a dirty saying, and I will never say again. <laughs> um, but then you have characters like the Tarantula, who are the more street-level uh, characters. Not that Superman can't be street-level, but that's just not where he needs to be most of the time. Uh, even though some really good stories have been told from that. But no, I, I, I love this costume. And uh, again, I'll get into one of the reasons why when I get into my notes. Cool. Well, my last note for this one, then I'll shut up, is uh, the very last page, next to last panel. This right here again, you know, once again, folks, quintessential Superman to me. I like Superman's, it's bravado, but it's also kind of an innocent bravado. It it reminds me a lot of, like, you know, one of the scenes I've always really loved about Superman the movie 
is when Superman's drowning, you know, and he's trying to make a case for himself and why, you know, why would you want to do this kind of thing? And he's really his own last concern. It's not the fact that he's dying. It's the fact that there's innocent people out there, you know, Lois and Jimmy. You know, I love that scene. And that this kind of reminds me of that in the same way. But it's it's a little bit more, like I say, there's a little more bravado in it. It's more of a, you know, you can do what you want to me, but, you know, you're not going to get away with this kind of, you know, Superman's very assured that, you know, the right thing is going to prevail. You know, you're not going to win in the end. I, I just, there's something about that with that character with Superman that I, I love that he's, you know, he really believes that, that right will out. And, uh, and I enjoy that kind of thing. You know, it, it's refreshing to see in comics, you know, because a lot of the other characters would just, you know, be, you'd be spouting threats or trying to think their way out of the, the death trap or whatever. And Superman's just, still holding on to that hope that you're not going to win, you know? They'll you're get not going to win because I may be here, but the JSA is going to come in and, and beat your ass. Yeah, so, I love it. <laughs> so suck it, lady. <laughs> not a direct quote, but pretty much, uh, pretty much the same thing. That's all I got for this issue. I enjoyed it. Um, this was the next issue after issue 18 I read that summer of 95 when I was going through all the All-Star Squadron books I had at that time. So there was like this huge jump from, you know, the Thor issue to this. But it's why I will always love this book because it was like one of the first issues I read. Mm -hmm. And it was really when I got to this issue and saw the cover, you know, you mentioned two elements. One, Tarantula looks awesome, and two, Batman's on the cover, and he looks great. Mm-hmm. And I've uh, I've always liked the idea that the Batman of Earth Two didn't have the oval around the bat, and the Batman of Earth One did. You know, to differentiate them right physically, but uh, no, fantastic cover. Ordway knocks another one out of the park. You know, like I said. All of these covers, since Ordway's taken over, are poster-worthy. Um, I can't say the same for the next week's, the book we're going to cover next week. Uh, but that's not to say that it's a bad cover next week. I just think there's some problems with it. But we'll get to that next week. Are you and I agree on that? The 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 Batman splash page, gotta love it. I love how the cape looks almost rigid as it's flowing behind him. Like, if the wind hits it just right, it becomes solid instead of just being fabric. And I love the Golden Age Batman. I don't care if it's, you know, I don't care if it's Bob Kane or Jerry Robinson or whoever drawing it. I like the look of the Golden Age Batman. Uh, the artwork is pretty consistently solid uh, throughout the early uh, appearances of the character. Um, See, I never understood that wing thing with his cape until I saw Ordway's art for that in this issue. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, just the primitive style of the Golden Age stuff, it wasn't really clear to me. How is this cape doing that? You know, I mean, it actually look. you know, you said rigid. That's what it looked like to me, like it was actually two rigid bat wings as opposed mm-hmm. to this where you can see it's the wind blowing his cape up that way, making it make that that pose. So, yeah, I like that. To me, Robin looks like kind of like the Jerry Robinson Robin from the Golden Age as drawn by Jerry Ordway for this title. 
that's how I always kind of uh, t- uh, took it. Um, page three. <laughs> I love in the second panel, just the Parisphere still standing there. At, oh, no need to stare, folks. Just a couple of out-of-towners here on a visit. Cause this <laughs> woman is leaning out of the car going, what the fuck is going on <laughs> there? <laughs> I have so many problems with Dick Grayson telling Chuck that, that he's Robin. I have so many problems with that. One, because of the line, the Robin the boy wonder is my very own cousin. Well, a couple of times removed anyway. Look, I don't even think I would tell my first cousin something like that. <laughs> I understand that Dick Grayson doesn't have a lot of family in the world. Right. And it's nice that he meets another Grayson. But, geez, I would have gone over there as Dick Grayson said, hey, you know, I'm in town, you know, you're my cousin. And then when the green meanies attack, he goes off and changes into Robin after Chuck has been knocked out. Uh, I'm not saying that's how it should have happened. It's just that's kind of how I would have done it. Right. Take that for whatever it's worth. Uh, (laughs) I love the shot on page four of Robin hopping on that dude's head in the second panel and kicking those other green meanies out. (laughs) <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a great acrobatic Robin picture. Um, why isn't Robin dead in panel four? Because an explosion isn't just, you know, fire and stuff coming out. There's a shock wave that comes from an explosion that, if it's powerful enough, will liquefy your organs. I watch a lot of the Mythbusters. Um mm-hmm. So I just I just have a problem with that. I, I have a problem with explosions and com- but you have to you have to make allowances for such things. I agree with you about page five. That is an awesome splash page. It looks like if you really wanted to in Photoshop, you could take Cyclotron and move him like five degrees to the left in his hand, with you, <laughs> you know, resting on Liberty Bell's boob. Uh- <laughs> Superman's S is too small on that page for me, but. That's just my opinion. I agree with you too. Ultra Humanite has had enough of Death Bolt shit. Yep, it's not going to happen. Screaming right in his face, <laughs> dude! I'm a dude. <laughs> my thoughts, my desires, my ambitions are still those of a middle-aged male scientist. But I just want to be pretty. I wonder what the menstrual cycle is like for him in that body. Well, you know, this is one of those things. Since we're getting vulgar anyway, I might as well just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. This is one of those things that I have thought about over time. You know, there there have been a good number of men and men and women switching minds, switching bodies stories over the year. Probably the most famous one I can think of would be the very last episode, regrettably, of the original Star Trek series where Kirk switched uh, minds with that, you know, psycho woman. Now, if that were to ever happen to me, I would have to prof- you know, confess that I would spend a sizable amount of that switched body time figuring out the female body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, I mean, after an experience like that, when you get your own male body back, imagine, you know, how phenomenal you would be then to the, to the opposite <laughs> sex because you had spent time as a member of the opposite sex. You'd have it all figured out, man. I like my simple plumbing. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, Johnny Quick is actually really cool in this whole sequence where he's saving the sailors. He he really jumps in there and is the hero, Um, which is why when the doctor wants to take his mask off, 
you know, I need a better look. Maybe he'll be be able to breathe better without his mask. Uh, dude, um, that's not how the mask works. It's not right. covering his mouth. So right. you're you're a douchebag. Just admit to being a douchebag. I never thought about how much effort it would take to take the ocean liner out of the water, but you're absolutely right. That is a uh, that is awesome. I really like the way Ordway draws Liberty Bell with the mask on. Mm-hmm. It's really sexy, and I I can't quite put my finger on as why, but maybe it's because you see her eyes so much. And Ordway is one of those artists that when he draws women, he puts emotion and life in their eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like why an Adam Hughes woman is so attractive is not so much that it looks good, but you look at the character and you can see there's a personality. Unlike, say, the late Michael Turner, who draws like Barbie dolls right. that are kind of empty looking. So I will always appreciate a well-drawn female when there's something going on in that head. Um, take that how you will. I agree with you, though, uh, on page 16 that, that the faces at the top of the page are wacky. I love on page 15, though, that when we get our first real good look at the tarantula, he's standing there in action, in like, okay, take the picture right, right now. But I love this costume. I love the little poofy sleeves. Uh, I love the little detail on the shoulder. Uh, you're right. The uh, the boots have the pockets all around them, which is kind of weird. But it's just, it's a really dynamic-looking costume. Mm-hmm. And it sets him apart from the other characters in the book. So that when you put all these people together, they look very good visually. Because they all look different. Uh, and I've always appreciated that. I I think Brainwave will turn into a mopey, mopey character. And I think that's why I don't like him eventually. But mm-hmm. I do like that costume design. I'm glad they brought it back for Brainwave Jr., from all the way back on the very first episode. Was it the first, or did we start with the book on the second episode? What? Of of the show. All-Star Comics. We started with 58. Did that have Brainwave Jr.? Well, it had Brainwave in this costume. In that first issue? Yeah, because he was projecting the image of himself. I mean, I remember that story, but I couldn't tell you if it was in 58 or not. I don't remember that far back now. It was in 58 or 59 that it was revealed. I was wondering if we covered it on the first or second episode of the show. I honestly do not remember. Because I know we spent a lot of that first episode talking about why we love the Justice Society. Um, The fight between Tarantula and Brainwave is actually kind of cool. I really like it that he tries to use his, uh, you know, his web gun and Brainwave's powers just make it just kind of fall apart, and then he destroys the gun, but keeps yelling about how, you know, I'm a modern hero, I can take you out. And for some reason, 80s songs just kept going through my head as I was (laughs) watching this scene. Dude, I just totally lost some serious Disney cred, because I missed it. There's an Incredibles moment in here, where Brainwave uses his power... And slams the door shut on Tarantula's cape so that he can't get away. That's totally from The Incredibles, dude. Yes. Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway used their future. (laughs) Well, I didn't mean it that way, but I I love that scene in The Incredibles where where it it shows all the heroes that died because their cape got snagged on something, and here it is happening to Tarantula. That was a hard scene to watch because I love capes. Yeah, I do too. But, uh... 
how do you argue with Edna Mole? I mean, you really, you really can't. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, Olga is awesome. Olga is the type of girl Friday you want. Uh, I don't think he's going to start sleeping with her, but, though. You never know. Maybe, maybe he, maybe he's a granny chaser. You, you know, you can, you never can tell. She's, she's basically Alfred if Alfred was an old German woman. That's what I like about it. It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Page twenty-two. Doctor Fate's kind of a dick here. Just flying She's away, kind of like. a dick all the time. Where have you been? <laughs> More so here than, than in previous, in previous things. Um, yeah, page twenty-three. Adam, why did you put the man that can absorb the properties and, be, and become the properties of things he touches next to the metal guardrail? You're an idiot. He is an idiot. You don't get guard duty next time. Though I like everyone squaring off against him, but it was really cool having that last scene. You know, like the first panel on page 24 is just a close-up on Ultra Humanite's eyes uh, with the drawn-on eyebrows and the jewel, and it's just like, stare into my eyes. <laughs> you know, Superman even kind of looks like Christopher Reeve yes. in this panel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love Death Bolt's question mark thought balloon and the very last panel <laughs> when, when Ultra Humanite says it will be the unhappiest day of their miserable lives. It's like... What is this crazy bitch talking about? What the hell is she on about? <laughs> but another good issue. Yes. Um, like I said, there hasn't been a clunker in, in about six six weeks of the show. So, and it really doesn't get, it doesn't get worse. It, it just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. We got, Next some, we got some good stuff coming along. We really do. We do have some different ads. Um... Thankfully, because I was kind of getting sick of looking at the other <laughs> ones. Did you ever play the Intellivision Advanced Dungeons and Dragons game? Negative. Okay, because I, I liked girls. <laughs> wow, that was me. <laughs> Sorry. We have the the Predator high tech BMX accessories because it was the eighties and BMX biking was was the shit, man. Yep. Why was it popular? Tired of uh, seeing this Star Frontiers thing. It's time. Jesus, Marvel would pound this ad into you through most of the 83 and 84. <laughs> Got a Bubble Yum ad that you can play like a brain teaser. <laughs> God, I hate this. I used to do that in the newspaper, though. Uh, the Morning Call had one of those. Forgot to mention that I like uh, Commander Steel on that page where he's just thinking about how his life sucks. Yeah, page is really good. Cross swords with champions. Enter the lost world of Warlord and Arak and Hercules from Remco. They all had the same body. Yeah, I remember those toys. You got them at Kmart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I knew you guys had to have Kmart. Oh we, yeah, uh, we have a um, another meanwhile column. That mentions the comic adaptation of Star Trek Three. Uh, Marty Pasco and Mike Barr are going to write the scripts for me. Big deal. Another Trekkie gone zonkers. On the other hand, I'm weird for Star Trek myself. Can't wait for the first issue. Wonder who's going to draw it. I'll ask Marv. Hey, Marv. Marv, too late. He's beamed himself home. It's also where they announced the negotiations for the Carlton comics. Yeah, I like that. In here. So, um... I think they got all these guys, too. They list Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, Judo Master, The Question, 
Sarge yeah. Steel, Peacemaker, Son of Hulk, and I, I do believe they got all these characters, too. The last thing, um, Thriller is coming, and every time I hear, I read that, I hear, Dun-na, <laughs> Dun-na-na, I used to have an issue with that somewhere. I couldn't tell you what the hell it was about, though. There is also a note about the death of Frank Chiro, Chiro Monte. Yeah. Uh, January 28th. Died of cancer at age 40. 40, I know. Damn. That's, yeah, that's brutal. That is, uh, I never really liked his inking over Kurt Swan, though. Yeah. He was never one of Swan's better inkers, in my opinion. It's funny you say that because as soon as I read that article in there, I was like, damn, haven't I busted on him and like back to the bins or something like that? I <laughs> felt really bad speaking ill of the dead. That's not cool. Create a monster on the back uh, inside cover with the Universal Monster movie model kits. Those look awesome. I love the Universal Monsters, dude. How can you not? I mean, seriously, there's they're, they're cool. They are cool. I mean, Dracula is a boring film, don't get me wrong, but I like the idea of Dracula I, yeah. being lumped in with these with these characters. I love Dracula, and I, and I never liked the Lugosi. And unfortunately, for some weird-ass reason, that still seems to be the one that's in the, the public perception mm-hmm. the most. But as a character, I, I like Dracula. Oh, yeah. I just oh, don't definitely. like that particular version. But that's like, why the Monster Squad was awesome. Oh, yeah, the Monster Squad or, like, you know, Tomb of Dracula by, by Wolfman and, and Colin or... Uh, there was another one that just fell out of my head I was going to mention. I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, just about any... Well, you know, I always liked when uh, when the X-Men fought Dracula. That to, that to this day, that's still my favorite X-Men story was... Uh, it was actually... Oh, wow. There was two parts because it happened in their regular series. It was like 159 or something like that. And then like a year or so later, he came back in an annual. Mm-hmm. And th- those are just great. I love that stuff. And it was neat because it was the tomb of Dracula, Dracula, but he looked completely different. They they had like given him like a like a goatee, and so he just he was a total badass. Because people, I think there's a tendency to forget that Dracula is like super strong, you know? Yeah. So it was really cool. It was like you know, it was almost like the the X Men versus like Count Nefaria or something like that because he had you know super strength and all that, but he was a vampire too. So it was awesome. I love that stuff. And in the Monster Squad, you can see Zorro playing Dracula. Oh, he played Zorro at some point? There, uh, It is now called ABC Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it was the Family Channel. Right. And in the summer of 89, I think 88, 89, and 90, it, it went on, I think, for almost three seasons. They had a Zorro series hmm. that they produced themselves. And he was Zorro. Oh wow! And I liked the shit out of that show because he was real. He he was he was obviously having fun. They even had in the summer of '89, Adam West came on and was talking how about as a character who thought it was awesome that he had a cave that he uh, that was his headquarters. <laughs> so uh, no, it was a really good show. Um, I'm oh, sure no. if I watched it now, it probably it might not hold up. But when I was like 12, 13 years old, I loved that show. Because, you know, how can you not like Zorro? He's, he's a yeah. superhero in the Midwest. That's I mean, cool. in, in old California. So, uh, But yeah, the, the guy that played Dracula was Zorro. And he did a really good job with it. 
The only other thing I've ever seen that guy in, you know, the guy that played Dracula in Monster Squad, was he was in uh, an episode of Next Gen. I can't even remember which one it was now. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Duncan Rigar. He was in a show called Wizards and Warriors. Oh, yeah, I remember that for show. five yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the bad guys, Duke Blackguard or whatever his name was. So, yeah, Frankenstein, if I am correct... Frankenstein from that uh, from the Monster Squad. I think he was in RoboCop 2 as Kane. Could be as, as Tom Noonan I think was his mm-hmm. name. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. another show and commentary. Well the, the yeah yeah we, I would love to do them. Actually we had talked about doing that at, uh, at uh, Halloween time this year. Okay I'm in. But uh, the guy That's that played the, the werewolf in that was also a werewolf in Fright Night 2, and then years later he would be the uncle in uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I couldn't get through that film. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I stopped watching. The only time I laughed was when they shot the, the farm animal in front of all the kids, and that yeah. was like the literally the only time I laughed. I, li- I don't remember anything. I really don't remember it. I watched it thinking, okay, this is what passes for funny these days, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it kind of sucked. But yeah, uh, he was also, uh, Tom Noonan was also the uh, the killer in Manhunter, which was the first uh, Hannibal Lecter movie right. from the 80s, where Brian, where where William Stryker from X2 was uh, was Hannibal Lecter. That's right. Yeah, I just read that recently. And he was good too. It was a good. That's that's a really good movie. Uh, that's it for the ads because we have the Tron ad on the back cover. I think we've talked that ad to death. So. <laughs> I have talked some serious Tron. Yes. Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying you know we've we've covered it before, so we don't really need to cover it again. <laughs> Well, do we want to move on to elsewhere in the DC multiverse? That's where I'm heading right now. It's why you hear a little bit of a clicking going on there. Let's see. uh, I don't think I have, well, not quite as many of these this month as last month, but I do have quite a few of these. I've got this uh, Adventure Comics 502 with the Dream Girl cover. Who's the artist? Uh, Ed Hannigan, it figures. It's kind of a weird (laughs) cover. I don't think I've actually read this. I know I have it, but I'm not sure I've read this issue or not. That's Another great Blackhawk cover. A <laughs> giant bird face coming out of the clouds. That's pretty cool. I like this cover, this Gil Kane cover to uh, DC Comics Presents number 60, where uh, Superman is punch- Yeah, he's punching the hell out of one of the Green Lanterns. Uh, that's a great cover. I don't, I don't know if I have this issue, but that's pretty neat. Um. That Justice League of America cover was turned into a poster and was one of the notebooks that yep. DC released last year. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead to the Batman cover because this is great. Ed Han- uh, it's a Walt Simonson cover. Yeah. Said Ed Hannigan. And the, the Riddler's throwing his hands up and he goes, who says crime doesn't pay? And Batman's standing right behind him. And he says, I do. But what he's really saying is, I'm going to fuck you up. Yep. He's just taken out two of the henchmen too, and he looks yeah. he looks pissed. He looks like he's about to put a hurting on the Riddler. Uh, going back to this uh, Justice League of America for a minute, you said this was a poster. Yeah, they they released a couple of those things as posters in Walmart. Ah, oh, damn! Because see, I got the notebook, but I didn't know it was a poster. I want a poster now. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You'll notice Batman is not on the cover. Yeah. 
because okay. he has quit the Justice League. That's right. Yep, that's right. Who yeah, is this on? Oh, that's uh, Garcia Lopez on Wonder Woman. I like that Wonder Woman cover, too. That's pretty cool. Yes, yes, indeed. I like the Flash cover, too. <laughs> you can't be dead. Because he had just, in the previous issue, killed um, Professor Zoom. It's a whole lot of material stretching away from from yeah. Zoom's costume, though. But yeah, that is a good cover. I like that. Uh, we've got a we've got a Firestorm fi- fighting Multiplex. Um, I didn't know he could fight a type of theater. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just gonna go with that, and we're gonna we're gonna move on. We're gonna we're gonna move on. I've never read that Justice League annual. I really don't have much of a desire to. I like the artwork on the cover, though. Rick Hoberg. I like Rick Hoberg. Yeah, I'll go with that. Love that new Teen Titans cover. Yeah. Of uh, Deathstroke opening fire and stuff. Man, that's that's awesome. That is cool. I like that one. Let's see what else you got. Ugh. Saga of the Swamp thing. No, I don't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Superman number 386 cover of the giant Lex Luthor picking up the Daily Planet Globe. That's cool. I like how Superman looks on that one. That's... I really want to Photoshop the Batman and the Outsiders covers. It's like, fuck you guys. I'm hanging out with these assholes now. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great, uh, great Jim Apero cover, though. I really like yes, that. Yes, it is. I, I like that series. I always liked Apero's Superman and wish he had drawn more of him because my favorite issue of Batman and the Outsiders is the one It's uh, I think it's called Who's Afraid of the Big Red S? Where Superman comes and puts a smackdown on Geoforce, that's a great issue. Did you ever I read that res- one? Yes, and I kind of disagree about Aparo's Superman. I was never really a big fan. Really? Of oh, yeah. dude. Okay. Just, All right. j- just, just my opinion. You know, take it for what it's worth. It's, wow. So. Now, did uh, you ever read that that um, Brave and the Bold that I, I recommended a while back? The one Batman and Superboy. No, I haven't read that yet. See, read, take a look at that sometime and tell. I'd like to get your opinion on that because I love Aparo's Superboy in that in that issue. That's a really cool one. I like this creepy ass cover to uh, Supergirl. Supergirl, there, yeah, that's freaky looking. It's a really solid Green Lantern cover with GL kind of standing there with all the uh, Julia Schwartz heads behind. <laughs> yeah, it does look like Julia Schwartz. It's cool. Now, are those supposed to be Guardians, or are those supposed to be... Those are Guardians. Okay. I didn't know if that was supposed to be Hector Hammond. Who is Lightning Lad? Oh, it's Lightning Lad versus Lightning Lord. That's a cool uh, Keith Giffen cover there on the Legion. Mm -hmm. I like that. What else do we got? I love that Night Force cover. Yeah, that's the next one I was looking at. I actually have this issue. I've never read it, but it's cool. It's got a... Count whatever. What the hell was that guy's name? Baron Winter. Baron Winter. That was it. Yeah, strapped to a strapped to a swastika that's on fire. That's that's pretty cool. We've got Action Comics. We're guest starring the Justice League of America and the New Teen Titans. Yeah, it's a great Gil Kane cover. It is a good Gil, Gil Kane cover. I like that a lot. For some reason, I always like these covers where Superman's slightly in shadow. Mm-hmm. And the S, just the red part of his S, is really standing out, but it doesn't have any yellow in it. As for some reason, I always like that. It always looks cool. Although when he briefly went to the the red and black S after nine eleven, I didn't like that very much. 
for some well, treat. after our worlds at war. Yeah, that's that's planned was, before yeah. 9-11. Well, I was trying to, I couldn't remember the event, but I knew it was right around the time of 9-11. It was the very next, it was the Wednesday after, it was the next day. Where he, uh, where he had, it was that, that Adventures of Superman issue, and the cover is him opening up the shirt, and it has the black right. and red S. And that caused a bit of controversy. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and having to explain to the people at work that they didn't pull it because that issue was probably in the news, in the comic dealer's hands on 9-11. Right. So, we have, I think, the very first appearance of the Thief of Night, who would become known as the Night Slayer later in Detective 529, in a badass Ed Hannigan cover. So badass that I use that as the logo for Bailey's Batman podcast. Wow. Well, that answers that question. I was just going to ask you what you thought of that cover because I don't like that cover. I, I love that, that storyline, and I, I you know, I like the art because I'm pretty sure this was – yep, that's a Gene Collin. I remember the storyline, and I like the storyline, but, yeah, that I don't know. I don't, I don't care for that cover very much. Then why did you say you liked my logo? Did I? Yes, you said I like that logo. I don't know. You gotta stop drinking in the app. <laughs> I guess that's it. <laughs> I do not like this cover on Jonah Hex. I do like the cover on New Adventures of Superboy. It's Superman versus Neptune. That's actually pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. Giant Neptune trying to trying to pin him with skewer, his uh, yeah. Yeah, skewer him with his uh, scepter or what? What do they call trident? Okay, this is something I'm going to have to figure out how this is going to work and how I'm ever going to find the time to get these done. But I've got to start working on pre-crisis monitor appearances now before we get all backlogged on them. But this new Teen Titans annual number two, second pre-crisis monitor appearance Mm -hmm. in that book. And that's a really, really good story, too. That's a good Robin story. If, If it's the one I'm thinking it is, I'm pretty sure it is. I really like this cover to uh, World's Finest. Uh, it's a little wonky, but it's good to head again. Klaus Jansen joint. Batman looks like his leg is being twisted off, though. Yeah, it does. Ow, that hurts. Yeah, that looks Night painful. Of the Midnight Sun. Who was the? They don't even say who the villain is. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. He's weird looking. Written by L.B. Kellogg. That villain looks like a cross between that... Uh, who was that guy that was briefly in the X-Men when they were the, the all-new, all-different X-Men? Like, oh, I can't think of his name. Star? Oh, never mind. It Sunburst? No, Sunburst was... So, yes, it was yeah, something like that. And it crossed between... Sun, yeah, I think that was it. Sun, it was like a cross between him and like one of the Rocket Reds or something. <laughs> weird looking. Well, that's it. That's all I got on that. That's all we got. Yes, sir. Do we want to cover any letters, or do we want to go on to another episode, and then we'll knock out letters if next time if we don't go <laughs> two hours again? <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Um, we're going to end this on a high note, folks. Uh, as of this recording, I am two days away from my vacation, and hopefully by the time this episode sees the light of day, I will have had a very good time at Dragon Con. Awesome. Well, actually, you know, we were talking about that last time around about, you know, what can we do to to turn it around and not always end on the same sad, pathetic note about, you know, this issue's never been reprinted or whatever. And I've been giving that a lot of thought, and I I think I've I've got the answer. I think from now on, 
we could we should take out the show with like a recommendation, like like our recommendation for the week, and it can be okay. anything, you know, a, a book, a movie, something we're listening to, anything, okay. you know. So we'll give that some thought for next time around and and go out that way. But yeah, we'll try to try to try to leave on a positive note from now on. Because we're positive people, yeah. we're never negative, never ever, except that one time. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook, to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbaileytube.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos. We love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember...